0: So I really encourage you just to follow down, uh, follow along with me as I read. Acts chapter 20. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months... And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sipatar so and Berean, son of Perias, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristrus and Seducus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Titius and Trophimus. there's a lot of names there, they went on ahead and were planning for us at Troas. but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days, for seven. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a, little, a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. A lot of planning. Verse 17. Now from Melodus he sent to the Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks, repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out proclaiming the kingdom Will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Verse 28. With tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to his ship. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word that we have read. I pray, Lord, that it would offer insight and instruction and, Father, encouragement to our hearts. Help us to know, God, that these words are relevant. And, Lord, open our hearts to it that we may be humble enough to receive your word. Jesus, and we pray. Amen. This week I was reading through a number of presidential farewell addresses. Um, not every president gave a farewell address, but a number of them did. I read through George Washington's about halfway, then realized that it was still like five pages long, and I gave up. And so I began to just to kind of skim through a number of presidential farewell addresses. And something I, I kind of saw through all of them was their their sense of of awe and wonder at uh, what America was and their country. That it just seemed like, even especially from the earliest presidents to later on, there was this magnificent wonder about what was happening in America. And even Andrew Jackson began to say, "There is no 13 million people in all of the." Earth's history who have been able to live such great lives with such freedom than those in America, they all talked about a special thing that they wanted to exhort the future country towards. Eisenhower talked about how the rise of military and being too military minded is going to cause great problems in the future by Um, a few political alleys and people were surprised because I was more of a a liberal agenda from a Republican president. But they all, every single one of them, ended with a final resolve that America will be great because of the people. And they all kind of gave this lasting boost of encouragement that as long as the people are protecting the, these inalienable rights that America would just flourish. And I was, I was really um, taken back by how inspirational a politician can be at times. Really, these are just, just men. And a matter of fact, I was looking through a lot of these presidents and like, man, I guarantee if you go ask like anyone on the street who this guy is, no one would know as a president. And I, I just think for a second, there will be a day in which no one will know Thomas Jefferson. No one will know who. I mean, tell me now. I mean, unless you're a really history, a big history buff, like who was before and after Abraham Lincoln as president? And these are the the guys in our in our society who like have the most power. I mean, I have a hard time starting thinking. Okay, you have like Obama, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Reagan. Am I right? I don't know. Something like that. It's going on? But after that, I, I mean, I have a hard time remembering. And it just—it's interesting that even in a president's goodbye, we are we are leaned into this moment. Like, what are you going to say? What parting words is the President of the United States going to leave for, his, for the people of America? And that began to also make me think about goodbyes. And goodbyes are kind of a funny thing because even as I thought back to like uh, one time I visited St. Louis, and St. Louis is known for the big arch, right? And if you don't know, that, that arch uh, signified, like that was a starting point for the Western expansion, and it was the arch to the rest of the country that uh, people would funnel through St. Louis for their supplies, and then go out to the rest of the country. And a lot of times back then, in fact, most times, if you were to pack up your your family and you get a little Oregon Trail kind of pictured wagon going with your horses, and you said goodbye to your family and to your neighbors, you were more than likely saying goodbye for life. There's a good possibility that you would never see your family again. Well, we've been in a day and age where I say goodbye to all my friends in, in high school, back at home, and I was back a few months later because I could take an airplane. And we have social media to connect us. So, in one sense, I may, could possibly never see some of my friends again face to face, but in a way, I see them all the time. But in this passage that we just read, Paul is giving a final address to two different people that he loves to the people in Troas and to the elders. Um, in Ephesus. And when I read this passage, and I I know it was was kind of long, and, and there's a lot of hard words to pronounce there, I almost am reminded of Jesus on his last night on earth before he was crucified. How he took his disciples late into the hours, and he was teaching them, and he was trying to pour as much information and remind them of all that he'd said and done. And we see Paul here telling these people you will never see me again. Now, we may never quite know what that's like. The possibility that we might not see people face to face, but um, we're granted with the blessing of never having to... Um, I remember the day before social media existed, I would meet a friend at camp, and I would know that that friend meant a lot to me, but I couldn't picture their face... And I don't have that problem anymore. Because I just look him up on Facebook. But we still, I think there's something about this passage. And and even though it's super long, I plan to be a little brief tonight. But I just want to maybe kind of pull a few gems from this to show us a little bit of Paul's resolve to be a faithful minister of the gospel. And to be clear for a second... Um, when I read this passage and I talk about farewell addresses I am not speaking in the context of my own departure so this is not my farewell address um, I don't know like, like, why are you talking about this passage Because this seems to be a passage um, <laughs> that people when pastors are leaving they'll preach on this passage and, um, I, I, I in ways admire the Apostle Paul here but I don't want to um, assume I'm the same as him But I I think this passage does hold a a bit of relevance, even to some of you who are leaving this group in the near future. And so I want to begin by looking at verse 7 to this very unique story. Um, If you look, so you get this impression on the first day of the week when we gathered. So can anyone help me with some contextual here? Who is the we referring to when it says we? So obviously you get the impression that the narrator is there. Does anyone know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke did. Right. Luke, the same person who wrote the gospel of Luke. And he's writing to the same person, Theopolis. And so he's actually saying Luke joined up with Paul in some of this travel. And so now he starts to recount what happened when we were in Troas. When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with him intending to depart on the next day. So you get this impression that Paul is just going to get a quick visit in and out. Verse 8, There are many lamps in the upper room where he were, we, where we were gathered. That's interesting. That, that's there. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Now, a lot of people look at this passage and they say something along the lines of Paul must have been a real boring preacher. Making people fall asleep, right? Uh, I mean... I've seen some of you fall asleep at times and, you know, I guess sometimes life is crazy and you don't get enough sleep and the weekends you do a lot more and, you know, we see the, you know, um, does that reflect on me as a pastor? Maybe sometimes, I don't know, maybe I could be a lot more engaging. But you get this impression that Luke really loves Paul. And Luke is never going to cast Paul in a bad light. So Luke is saying like, no, 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 this isn't Paul's fault. It was one of those things where we're up late at night, and he mentions this verse right? There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. Torches. You kind of get this. So almost like maybe, okay, it's late, it's hot in the room, and maybe these torches are kind of like the the hypnosis things where they kind of like just get you all like out of whack and sleepy. And then it says, Poor Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep, and he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Whether or not you were an engaging uh, preacher or a boring preacher, I'm sure that's got to like rattle you up a little bit. Like, dude, someone literally died when I was preaching. <laughs> and in fact, like, there's this... There's a preaching book called Saving Eutychus on how to be a good <laughs> communicator, right? Like For, for Eutychus, there's like a few verses and there's a book all about how to be a good preacher so that people don't fall asleep. But here, here's where I maybe take a few observations. Paul is leaving them. He's giving a farewell address to them. He knows that he has to leave the next day. If Paul had more time with him, do you think he would have spaced out some of his his talks? Rather, you get the impression that Paul was trying to savor every little moment he could with these people. And so he just began to teach and teach and encourage and remind and instruct and admonish because he knew that he was not going to see these people again. And so he's preaching well into the hours of the night. And even though he's talking for so long, you know, this kid fell. But do you notice how no one looks at Eutychus like it was his fault? Shame on Eutychus. You should have been paying attention. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him up in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. This is the craziest part, okay? That happens. What is the very next Verse. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. Time out, yo. You just brought someone back from the dead. Who's hungry? Like that's literally what happens. Paul's preaching, Paul's preaching, you hear this thump. Oh man, Eutychus. Run downstairs. Oh, he's alive. Oh, cool. Hey, what's for dinner? Like, that's not just a miracle. That's a miracle. (laughs) Bringing back someone from the dead. You know, Luke here, Luke is a smart guy. He's a physician. He's a doctor. He's well-educated. You know, he's probably a pretty good journalist. He takes down details and facts. A a resurrection story is like front-line media. I mean, you can write about this. Like, this is the stuff where it's time to embellish Paul and make him look, look what he was doing He raised Eutychus, a boy from the dead. But there's hardly anything. But what is their emphasis on? Paul taught later in the night. This kid happened. He went back to talking. And he talked into the very wee hours of the morning. You see, Luke is trying to point you toward the fact that, yes, this miracle was great and it was an opportunity to show that Paul's words like, had meaning and it, and it proved his apostleship, that he can do these types of miracles. But ultimately, Luke is trying to get us to think that Paul's teaching is a thing that he cares about. You know, if you, if you try to live in the big fast and the famous moments like resurrections, or big worshipful moments, or some fuzzy feeling we get when we sometimes read Romans eight I'm sure that's good and fine. But it doesn't even seem that Luke is that concerned about the biggest moment of all. In fact, some miracles are good and they, they affirm the message of those who are speaking, but I think we are more so Sustained and fed by the Word of God. We are sustained by the ordinary means of grace, by each other, by prayer, by God's Word. So, as much emphasis there is on Paul's teaching, and as, as the fact that you have this huge story about someone coming back from the dead with just a hug you still don't even know what Paul's talking to them about. Right? If you're going to skip over a crazy story like that and just emphasize how Paul kept talking to them as much as he could because he knew he was leaving, well, what was he talking about? And that's why in this same chapter, it seems that Luke is trying to divert our eyes to the final words that Paul gives to the elders in Ephesus. He's trying to say, like, these things right here, you know, this address, this is the only sermon in the whole book of Acts that is addressed solely to Christians. It's about 400 words long. And in it, Paul is trying to diagnose and he's trying to show what my sole purpose of being a minister of the gospel is. There's a lot here. I mean, verse... 17 all the way down to 38. I'm sure it could take a few weeks to look at this. But Paul wants to remind them of three things. There is, so in essence, Luke is trying to get our attention on three things of what Paul's farewell address, of what his ministry looked like in Acts chapter 20. So the first thing the nature of Paul's ministry among them. If you look down at verse 18 through 21, And when they came to him, he said to them, So this is Paul talking, which you don't have too often in the book of Acts, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and in public from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying. The nature of any Christian ministry is that it must absolutely 100% of the time combine your life with your teaching. Paul was the greatest theologian that ever lived. Paul knew more about the doctrine of salvation. He knew more about the doctrine of ecclesiology, of the church, of the end times. Paul knew more than any probably New Testament Christian ever has. But one thing that he always made sure to do was to bring his life in the subjection of it. See, a lot of you here, I'm just scanning the room here, grew up going to church. I've been coming to youth group for a long time. Probably read a good amount of books, or just a few maybe. And Paul seems to, to say about my life is listen, I taught you everything that I could have. But more than that, you know, like no one can debate that I lived among you with humility. And I, and I served you with tears, and you get this impression that Paul was not just doing this to give himself a boost of morale. He's not doing this to make himself look good, because he actually loved people. The greatest theologian, he says, that I had trials happen to me through the whole time. Jews and Gentiles alike. And it's clear that for the life of the Christian, and especially for the minister, our lives are always on display. You know, I was talking to a good friend recently. We're talking about this distinction of um, how do we know we're really doing the Christian life well? How do I know I won't fall away? And the only thing I can think of is that we just need to learn how to actually practice out our faith. To live it. Listen, let me me be very clear. There is always more things to know, to be reminded of, more truths to, to cling to, more promises to be had. But in one sense, I do think that for most people in this room, there is enough knowledge of God in your mind that ultimately just needs to sink down into your heart and into your being and to live out the gospel. And Paul is reminding them, listen, when I minister to you, you know that I lived this. I love the fact that Paul says, I kept nothing back. From a pastor that, that those words even pain my heart at times where I felt like I needed to maybe say something a certain way so I didn't offend someone. Or I had to say it an easier way in order for them to take it and you know make it palatable for them. And Paul saying, listen, I wasn't afraid of what any of you thought. I gave you everything that I thought was for your good. He mentions a little later, but I do not count my life any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul was concerned about one thing and making sure the gospel was being preached to all people. I mean, this is, this is um, Acts chapter 20. If you just go back five chapters to Acts chapter 15, there's this big section of scripture called the Jerusalem Council in which there's all this debate about how do we properly allow Gentiles to come into the church? Because it was a Jewish religion at first. And Paul was saying, listen, I was the one who went from house to house, who went out to the public, who went from the Jews into the Gentiles to everywhere and made sure what... Repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, I look at this and like, this is poetic. This is like a love story that you know. You get this impression that there's this guy who is giving up everything and with tears and humility. And everyone would know this message. Even as I, I, you know, in one sense, I will humbly admit that I even have a hard time at being put in the same category as Paul, as a Christian minister. The amount of times that we obey or try to look good or say things to get the approval of men, the the amount of times where we are simply just poor at backing up our words with our actions and with our deeds, I wish I could spend more time, but I can't. He goes on. The second thing he reminds them of, he, he, he warns them of the danger that they will soon face. In verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So, what he's saying is that persecution will come from without and perversion from within. To be a Christian is a wonderful thing. Like, I was just even thinking of that song we were singing. I am a child of God. What a title to have. Aaron Garnes, child of God. Such a good thing needs to be protected to get financial on you almost. Like, protect your wealth. So they sell you on insurance, right? you yeah, got life insurance, health insurance, car insurance. All of those things are therefore protected to help you protect your money, protect liability. And Paul is saying, this gospel, this is what I've, what I've taught you. I know I'm leaving you, but guess what? People are going to come, and they're going to try to convince you otherwise. They're going to try to have you compromise slowly but surely. There will be people from even within this, your own group of Christians and people from without. What does he say? Be careful. Watch out for them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for the three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He's trying to say, when these times come, be reminded of the times where you were taught God's word. Be reminded of how I minister to you with tears. I'm under the impression that Paul said a lot more than just 400 words. But the last thing that he reminds them of, in verse 32, he says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. First, Paul reminds them of his ministry, that he actually lived it out. He reminds them of the danger that is coming. And then he reminds them that God is ultimately the one who will preserve them through his own word. See, as a youth pastor, even my heart is comforted by those words. There will be a day in which no one in this room will be here. You all have emptied out, you'll all have entered the workforce or college or da da da. And in one sense, you know, I I do look at you guys as more than just students and, and more than just friends, but brothers and sisters in Christ. And at times there can be this worry Will this person keep running the race? Will Christ be enough to them? Will these wolves that are trying to get them succeed? You know, I, I'm annoyed by the amount of people who like to bring up statistics about how many people or youth who leave the faith after, after high school. Maybe they're right. But maybe if we take God at His word, we know that ultimately, God through His word will be the one to bring out our sanctification Do not forget God's word that those who are in fact a child of God cannot lose their adoption. That those who in fact are bought with the precious blood of Christ can never be separated from the love of God. That those who have put their faith and their repentance in Jesus will always have a room prepared for them in heaven. And I, as a minister of the gospel, will do my best to always never hold anything back but to give you, the, as Paul says, the whole counsel of God, but yet trust that it is the Lord through his word who will bring us home safely, right? Paul ultimately knew that these people that he loved, that he ministered to them night and day for three years, as he says, that they were under the Lord's hands and he released them It says, my hands are clean of all blood, for I have preached the gospel to all people, and I have let you know everything that I have known. See, this is not just the call for pastors or missionaries. Forget the news name. Matthew Henry, the commentary writer. He says, um, more or less in these words that we can't give someone what we don't have. Paul is saying, I gave you everything that I have. A Christian disciple, a Christian, cannot be effective in the world if they do not first have a Christian life to give. Why do I say all this? Why do I look at this farewell address? Because I think it is imperative For us to see pictures of people, to be reminded in Scripture of what it looks like for someone to give all that they have to the gospel. This is it. This is the picture. If you don't, if you think you're radical in your faith, look at Paul. You know, to quote the, the words of my very good friend Tim Keller. We're friends, right? But we're not radical enough, right? Paul's farewell address shows us that the gospel, in fact, leads us to a life that just not speaks the truth, but lives the truth. That, is, that, that knows the, the spiritual warfare that surrounds us, that there is wolves, and knows that ultimately the Lord will be the one to get us to the end. I love the fact that I live in this generation that I'll probably see the rest of you, the rest of your life via social media or you come back for Christmas or Thanksgiving. But I love that the gospel connects us in a way in which that we actually have an emotional connection that we can carry each other's burdens and hardships and joys And I pray that when we look at Paul, we see that we are drawn to not just the miracles that Paul did, but to his message. And what was his message? Just the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is active and living and sharper than any two double edged sword. Lord, I thank you for the friendships. And the community that is forged when people believe in the gospel. And Father, I pray that we would look to the Apostle Paul and see the life of someone who's resolved to make the gospel known to everyone. And Lord, help us to follow suit. Help us to be aware of the wolves that are out to get us. But Lord, help us to have the faith to remind ourselves that, Lord, it is you through your word that will carry us all home safely. God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for their faithfulness in coming. Lord, And I pray that they will continue to see the importance of meeting. They would see the, the importance of being under your word and learning, God. And it's not just the words we say, but in fact, it is also the deeds that we do out of faith. Be with us now, we pray. Amen.